welcome to another episode of Photos with Sharita, our podcast about photos and stories equal love. We have a guest today, Hazel Thornton, who's a professional organizer and a photo organizer and a passionate genealogist. So we're excited to have you listen and learn from Hazel about ways that you can incorporate genealogy, learn more about your history and old photos that you maybe don't know much about and incorporate some genealogy, some DIY research so you can dig into some of those really old precious photos but you're still wondering who is this or what else can I find out about them? That's how genealogy ties into getting the photos and the stories, putting those things together. So the photos have much more meaning for you and for future generations. So thanks for joining us today. I'm excited today to have guest Hazel Thornton with us on our podcast, Photos with Sharita. Welcome, Hazel. Hi. And Rita is with me, of course. Hi, Rita. Hi, Shara. Hi, Hazel. All right. Well, I want to tell everyone a little bit about Hazel because I'm just very excited about this topic and how it goes with photos and stories. So Hazel is in Albuquerque, New Mexico. She's a professional organizer. She works virtually as well as with people in New Mexico. She's a genealogist and uh, she does really cool charts and she also creates these these flow charts. She is the creator of the Clutter Flow Chart Collection, and she has a photo one that definitely we want you to talk about, Hazel. And just kind of one of those interesting facts about someone and their own story. She is the former juror number nine on the first Menendez Brothers murders trial. And she also wrote a book about that experience. It's called Hung Jury, the Diary of a Menendez Juror. And Hazel's book is available Amazon. Re, it's reprinted, right? I mean, it's yes, been a while. It's been reprinted and it's available on Amazon, exactly. Yeah. So she and I have talked a little bit about that. We're actually not talking about this that on this podcast, but she has lots of great links on her website, and it's fascinating if you want um, to dig a little deeper in that with Hazel. So let's start with how you got involved in organizing and this kind of your your signature, if you will, are flowcharts about clutter and photo clutter. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, I six months the way the way I got organizing was that I got laid off from my profession at the telephone company in California, and I already had decided earlier that year that in my retirement I wanted to be a professional organizer. I just didn't know that my retirement was coming quite so soon, and it and it didn't come with benefits or retirement <laughs> either. But I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I joined Napo. And I started um, working with clients right away and joined the NAPO Los Angeles chapter. And I told myself, um, I'm going to give this six months. And if I, uh, to see whether or not I can make enough money to stay in Los Angeles and keep my house. And after six months of learning everything I could, I decided if I worked really, really hard, I probably could keep my house and stay there. But then I decided but I don't want to work really, really hard. <laughs> right. Understand. So I moved to Albuquerque and started over. And Albuquerque was a place I had never lived, but a place where my mom grew up. So um, so I was had a, a lifetime of visiting my grandparents who lived here. Nice. 
Nice. And so how did you get into the so, flow so the chart flow stuff? Chart. Yeah. So the flood of flow charts came about from, I had clients in California that I was leaving to come to Albuquerque. Not very many, but I got to thinking, well, how am I going to help? You know, so they were asking me questions about, well, how do I do this? How do I do that? And I started thinking, well, how do I help somebody who maybe I'm not right there by their side? And and it, so I was born of having moved and starting right away to provide virtual services. I didn't do provide them very well back then, but I did come up with the idea of the clutter flow chart. And basically, it, it just says, you know, take a take something at random on your desk. I've got my iPhone in my in my <laughs> hand, <laughs> and and you basically ask you yourself, do you love it? Do you need it? Do you uh, do you use it? Do you need to keep it? And basically, when you work your way, there's a bit of humor in the charts. People, people, you know, notice the bit of humor, which is that if you don't use it and you don't love it, it's clutter. And it doesn't matter whether somebody gave it to you, whether you paid good money for it, whether there's all kinds of reasons why people use to hang on to stuff. And the same goes for photos. So eventually, I created a whole line of these clutter flow charts. And they also tell what to do with the things that they're parting with. And and congratulates them at the end, you know, for having, you know, created a clutter-free life for themselves. And with the photos, it's the same way. You look at your photos and you say, well, you know, are there duplicates? Are there photos of things you don't even know what it is? Are these people you don't know? And so from an organizing perspective, a clutter, a decluttering perspective, it's all about getting rid of photos that you don't need, love, or use. But from a genealogy perspective, my, my recent thing is, you know, what's, what's a photo without the story? And if you have a photo that you don't know who the people are, maybe we can figure it out. Because there are records, like if you can tell me, well, when do you think it was taken? Who's, if you, especially if inherited photos, if you've inherited photos and they were your mom's or your grandma's and you don't know anything about your family chart, well, we can do some work on that and we can find out who these people were maybe. And if they weren't relatives, they might have been neighbors and we can find out where they lived in a certain time frame when the photo was taken. So it opens up a whole new world of maybe you don't want to get rid of every photo where you don't know every person. So I love that you just said that because I had a little bit of a panicky feeling as a photo organizer, you know, that if you don't know who the people are, get rid of the photos, right? But I know we're going to dive a little deeper into that in a minute. But I want to um, just kind of summarize some things that I heard you say as you talked about your journey. And so as a professional organizer, and even probably before that, you've always had this mind of order. I remember a NAPO uh, member, actually a guest speaker, Speaking of that in Atlanta, um, having a mind of order and you're, you have such a mind of order. I can hear it because you had already planned to be an organizer in your retirement before you knew retirement was going to be thrust upon you. And then and then as you started to leave, and think of these things, your mind of order is like, how am I going to help these people? And you design these clutter flow charts to help them make decisions. Uh, and, you know, all of that's based on being organized. And then because of your love of photos and and everything you you and history you got into genealogy and the photo thing is born and like you said you just recently got you realized the photos and the stories and so you can send people 
on this path of discovering things about photos that they didn't know anything about. And that's part of what genealogy is. And we're going to talk about it, but I want to ask you a couple of other questions before we dive deeper into genealogy. And, and can I say one thing? You got that yeah. story straight, except for one thing. The love of genealogy predated all of that by uh, about nice. So, so it's, kind of, it's kind of full circle that I'm back to genealogy and doing it for other people. So I love that. I love to know that about you, that genealogy has always been a passion of yours and then how you've been able to thread it into what you're doing professionally. So that's perfect. I love it. And hey, so, I, I think the audio just went out for a second when you said, or at least I couldn't hear. Um, how long have you been doing genealogy and was it for just your um, kind of a, a personal uh, it was completely personal. Okay. And, and let's say in the 80s, um, okay. I was doing a lot of genealogy just for me. And it's only been in the past like five years that I've been doing it for clients. Nice. And I take it that's because you wanted to learn a little bit more about the photos that you found in your own family collection. Um, that, hmm. Yes. <laughs> like there's a story there uh, for another day. Uh, oh, there's <laughs> another story. Wait, there's some sort of story there, but we'll we'll hold it. But yeah, don't we all have some stories? And and so you were uncovering some things, maybe in your own family history. Is that? Yeah. I mean, is that to say without prying? <laughs> Good. Okay. So what I'd love to know, because we ask every guest this, um, because. You know, we're about the photos and stories, and now in present day, most people's story or their photos are all on their phone. So how many photos are on your phone camera roll right now? Well, you know, you you told me you were going to ask me that, and, and I thought, well, is that a trick question? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, but no. I'm not even sure. I'm not even, I mean, I'll tell, I'll tell you what the real answer is, but I'm not sure what a good answer is anymore. <laughs> uh -huh. It's it's not it's not the same as you know how many emails are in your inbox, right? Um, the answer is there are 2,620 photos on my camera roll, and I have an iPhone, which basically means all my photos are on my camera roll that I've taken on my iPhone unless I've removed them. Mm -hmm. um, but that's misleading because I also have 22,000 photos in Dropbox. <laughs> Yeah, but that, you know what that means? That's I think you're organized. Some people have 22,000 or try to have that many on their phone. So it wasn't a trick question. It's just interesting. And I think it's for people just to um, let them know that, you know, organizers, photo organizers, people, we all have some of that clutter. Um, and, you know, I don't know how organized they are on your phone, but it I don't know. It gives people sometimes relief, sometimes stress if they hear that we have more than they do. And I, I have more, but we don't usually share our number. <laughs> we should sometime. But um, anyway, it, it wasn't a trick question. It's just um, an interesting talking point for people I think, I think knowing. The other question is, are your photos backed up? 
Uh, well, that's, you know, our mantra. And it, at Photos with Sharita, there's a, a free backup guide. Yeah, a free backup guide at photoswithsharita.com where you can um, get the backup guide to back up your iPhone or your Android. So please, cool. please visit there, uh, you know, anyone listening and make sure your phone is backed up. That is our number one priority for anyone, even if they never get organized, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yes. And um, one other thing I, I want to talk about in, in your story that I I find equal parts amusing and powerful is the fact that you are asking people questions the same way that Marie Kondo asked them now. And, you know, that's one of those subjects that it's just the, I mean, I might call it the flavor of the day marketing. She's a, a viral sensation and people, you know, are condoing their things. And we see this on Instagram and Facebook. But that, you know, basically her tagline is, does it spark joy? And you were asking that a long time ago, as were many other organizers. The yeah, and it's what we ask, too. And I know you've written, I follow your blog, so I know you've written blog posts about it, so people can go and read that, just for some amusement and fun. And I, But I think it's a powerful question for any kind of clutter, you know, um, why, why you're holding on to things. I mean, it's just mentally that thing that you have to ask yourself as you try to declutter whatever area of life you want to declutter, if you do. Well, right. and if you don't ask yourself those questions, you'll never get rid of anything, and you'll just be living in clutter. Right, right. So I could, I could become a hoarder, and that's a whole nother, you know, thing. Because I do, I do love stuff, but I do have to ask myself that all the time. And I've always been pretty organized, so it's like, why do I hold on to these things? And then where are they going to live in my house? Right? Or is it necessary for me to keep them? And then that goes into a whole nother thing, another step in our life is, can you take a picture of it? So you have it, but then get rid of it because the picture is a lot smaller than the object, right? Like if you need to get rid of some things. So taking photographs. That's a great great, um, strategy, but then you have to be able to find those photos. (laughs) (laughs) When you want to look at them and reminisce and you want to put the story with the photo because who's going to care if you took a picture of, you know, this, you know, box or some physical object if you don't know the story. So there we are at story again, and it comes round and round. And that's what Rita and I are all about in telling the stories with the photos. And we ask you to share a favorite childhood photo. And you sent that to us and our listeners are going to get to see it when uh, on the podcast graphic on the um, our podcast notes page. But tell us about that photo and why you picked that one and, and the story behind it. Um, I picked that photo. It's a photo of me and my mom in Albuquerque. And I'm only two years old. And we're sitting on a glider, the, the old-fashioned, you know, this was in the 50s, an old-fashioned metal glider that my grandparents had in their backyard and here in Albuquerque, as it happens. So it's kind of a full-circle picture. Um, one reason I like it is because um, I'm adorable. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> and, and my mom and I are both reading books. And really, until I until I started telling this story out loud, like just now, I'm realizing I probably couldn't actually read. But I mean, I was an early reader, but I don't think I don't know right. if I was reading it too. But I'm perfectly happy with my own book sitting next to my mom reading my own book, and she's got her book. And um, it would be summertime. 
And my dad took the photo. And one of the interesting things about the, I've got a blog post called Grandma's Lawn Chairs. And uh, that's, this is one of the photos in that series because over the years, over the many years, um, there are a number of family photos that feature, that they don't feature, they just happen to have these same chairs in it. And I just found that interesting and wrote a story about that. But um, also, this cute little girl on this chair here, she, this would be her last hurrah as a single, as a as an only child, <laughs> because mm -hmm. my mom is very pregnant sitting next to me. <laughs> and my and my brother would have been born that same summer, later that same summer. Nice, nice. And there were, and there were two more brothers to come. So this is the, this is the beginning of the end of <laughs> my <laughs> Your only child instant. Yeah. So you were, uh, so you're one of four and you have three brothers? Uh-huh. And you're the oldest. And, and we were, we were a reading family, so that re showing me reading so early is, you uh -huh. know, indicative of my future right. as well. And my mom was a reader, and my mom's gone by now, so it's all it's special to me for that reason too. So I love I I love that you painted a picture of the photo that listeners can actually like see in their minds. I mean, that's what our stories do, even if they didn't see the photo, but luckily they get to go over to photos with Sharita and see it and on your blog post as well. And I read that blog post. I, I don't know when, when you published that, but I remember reading it and just a little funny side note. I have a retro glider like that in uh -huh. my backyard. And I had two chairs just like that. And I ordered those when we moved into our house 28 years ago. So they were just, that old metal furniture brings me back to my granddad's farm. And I love that in that picture, I'm looking at it myself now. You know, you can see another glider, two more chairs behind your mom's head on the left. So it's just, it takes us back to those times, those sweet times and memories. And then, like you said, you know that your family were readers and the love of books started early and all of that. So love, love, love to hear the story. And, and, look, uh, and look at my mom's face. Look how cute she thinks I am. <laughs> <laughs> She's hey, adoring you. I also, I also liked, and I think it's good for our listeners to think about this, is when you started telling the story out loud and saying it, um, you know, your thoughts that you probably weren't reading it too. That's sort of irrelevant, but it's just that what new things might have been sparked in your own mind or thoughts as you started to articulate out loud, not just, you know, talking in your head about it or thinking about uh -huh. it, um, things that might come up and things that other people might see or know about the photo as we share them or have it in print somewhere for others to read. So I think that's a really important um, component of, of sharing the story, um, not only out loud and to others, but so that we can get possibly more information about right. the people or the settings. Um, and it helps us, you know, enjoy, enjoy those stories and weave them together a little bit more for our family history. Right. I'm always asking my aunt and my dad, you know, who, who are these people and what, what, more, what more can you tell me about this photo? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I mean, and the details that you don't know or think about, you know, when I look at that picture and you say, and your mom was pregnant and that, you know, you were an only child for a little bit longer, right? Like that was your little stint of only child life. And then the brothers came. So those are things you don't know in the picture unless you tell the story. So I, I love that. Love it. So thank you for sharing that um, with our listeners. 
So let's talk more about genealogy because boy, oh boy, is it another, you know, one of those things that's gone a little bit viral. I mean, we, we know that not only, and, and we're not going to go down this road, but I'm just going to mention, we see it on the news, you know, that they're catching people, um, criminals because of DNA tests and, you know, the things that have come mainstream because, you know, a, a cousin did a DNA test and then it's now in a database of ancestry.com or wherever. I'm not going to, I shouldn't name, you know, specific things because I don't know enough about it, but where, what what is that? Uh, it's one, two, three, and me, or so. Thank you. Whatever that is, I know. My, actually, my youngest daughter's done it. So you know, they spit in a tube and they send it off, or whatever they they swab their mouth, and then and then things happen, and you get to learn about people that you're related to if other people have done it, and you're in this national registry, and now the police and law enforcement are using it. Um, I for the greater good, let's say, um, catching people, but genealogy is really. Um, on trend right now and you started it way before it was you know I always like to say before it was hip and cool because I've <laughs> never been hip and cool and uh, but it's fascinating stuff so what what really um, maybe if you could just share something special or amazing that you have learned in you know, doing some genealogy research for clients and not necessarily your own personal family but that have helped someone else, you know, sparked a story in their life or something fun? Well, sometimes sometimes they come to me wanting to solve a mystery. Mm -hmm. And, and like, one, one was um, her grandparents were always really vague on when the anniversary was. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. <laughs> and it really didn't take me any time at all to figure out, oh, that's because they were underage. They lied about their age when they got married, when they... And they had, then they had their child too soon, and right. it was very straightforward. But it had never been documented, and the whole family know for sure. <laughs> right? Did they want to know? Did they want to know? And once you documented it, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, the, the 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 person who came to me wanted to know. Yes, I was glad yeah. to know. Right. And then and then somebody else said, well, you know, there's a rumor in my family, and my sister thinks that my my grandparents were part of a cult or something. Huh. And and it turned out that indeed, you know, these these things are turning out to be a little bit more, true more often than not that people come to me with. Um, th there was some kind of I wasn't prepared to tell the story, so I, I'll probably get this wrong, but um, there were some records about them having been her grandparents having been buried like at a Methodist cemetery, which would and she was thinking it might be an LDS cult. Well, it was not a Methodist Methodist. It was it was a name that sounded like a different religion, but really was a form of an LDS uh, cult. And and when I say cult, I mean not just fundamentalists, but even another uh, branch of Mormons that that is even less well known. And he was not, and it was actually more um, uh, less crazy than some, where. Um, her grandfather had been like the, the president of the group, not like the, not like the, uh, the apostle or anything like that. So, but it was all true. It was, it was a little different than she thought and a little bit different than I'd mm -hmm. ever heard of, but it was true and we documented it. <laughs> so, so some rumors came up, but I want, I want to clarify one thing and then Rita, please, uh, I don't mean to jump on your, uh, 
question, but LDS is Latter-day Saints, and we're not just disclaimer, we're not saying that they are a cult um, in any way. There are levels, there are different, absolute, there are different branches, and you found you this branch was not a traditional, or, or what maybe LDS is now today, or anything like that, so right. just... I always think of backlash of people are thinking, wait a minute, did you just say that? But you didn't. I, I'm just clarifying. Okay, yeah. go, Rita. <laughs> so I wanted to know, did uh, the family who was inquiring about this, did they happen to have a couple photos that sort of prompted this based on what they saw in them? No, I can't relate to the photos because I wasn't oh, thinking Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it was, was genealogy—you um, know, straight genealogy research about just data that they provided, and then you started digging <laughs> when I deeper. Do the research. I find photos of their ancestors that they had never seen. That's yeah. fun. And that's, that's neat. Really yeah. Yeah. So you really, in genealogy, in terms of what you do and help people with their stories, is the stories that you can get from genealogy research can then sometimes be matched up to photos they have and didn't know, or you can uncover photos that other people may have posted online that you, or in, you know, church records or documents, that kind of thing that you can really just tie things all together for them. I mean, as you dig deeper, is that right? Right. And then sometimes you find out things like in my family, one of the things that I discovered we we had a little bit of a package of genealogy information that covered the first couple generations. But the first thing I discovered on my own was that the next generation were all Quakers. And every generation before that for like 10 generations were all Quakers. And what was so amazing about that is that we had never, my dad had never heard one time in his entire life that his, anybody in his family had ever been a Quaker. And he's a Christian minister. Wow. Wow. You'd think, you'd think he'd be interested in that or that somebody would tell mm -hmm. him at some point. <laughs> right. And, and so something happened in his family to where um, communications broke down. And that's still a mystery, what happened, why he doesn't know more about his family. And um, so I found out about his family by doing genealogy. And one of the one of my ancestors that is the most interesting um, her name is Charity Wright Cook, and she was lived from 1746 to 1822 in um, Maryland in Indiana. And she was, as many Quakers were, um, a Quaker minister. But in her case, she was the one in her family to, to be a minister and to travel. She traveled all around. And she also had 11 kids, and she left them home with her husband. Whenever she wow. Went. A modern-day woman in the 1700s, yeah. <laughs> right? And, and, and one of her ancestors, and so one of my, what I call genealogy cousins, for lack of a more specific, yeah. <laughs> you know, how he's related, uh, wrote a book about her called Charity Cook, A Liberated Woman. It's fascinating. I love that. Well, to me. Yeah. Well, to others as well, I'm sure. I mean, I'm fascinated by family stories and, and they come in all sizes and shapes and colors. And, and, you know, I think one of the other things to think about if listeners are thinking, I want to start to look into genealogy, maybe you can give them a tip or two. But I think that there is a, a cautionary tale to 
just that you have to be ready to maybe find some things that you um, might not. Well, I don't know if it's might not want to know, but there might be some shock stuff in there. So you want to be careful about how much you want to dig. And if you want to know all these things, right? I mean, it can be some painful things. Well, it's never even occurred to me for myself to be like, I've never found anything that I thought was painful. Exactly. I mean, things have happened, you know, people have died and people have died young and people, you know, I've got a great, great grandfather who went off to, you know, the gold rush and never returned and don't know why that's, I'd like to solve that someday. And, and, you know, things like that. But I have, well, I had a client, for example, we did a DNA test on her because we had, I found out that she may have a great, great, whatever grandmother who was a Cherokee Indian. Well, most people think that's wonderful to have Cherokee blood and everybody thinks they do when they don't even. And, um, but she wanted to know her sister wanted it to be true and she did not want it to be true. And when I realized she did not want it to be true, I just, I just didn't even ask why, because I mean, right. how many reasons are there to not want yeah. it to be true? And, and so, so she was delighted. I tried to explain to her that just because the DNA test doesn't indicate that you do have it, doesn't mean that she wasn't your ancestor. And right. you know, <laughs> there, there are there's so many things about DNA that people don't understand. Sure, they'll, sure. Like they'll, they'll say DNA is wrong because they, because they got one of these results because oh that can't be because I know who my father is and I know well maybe you do maybe you don't right and, and, right <laughs> well so I mean it opens up some doors that people have to be aware of to you know that right. they may not want that other relatives maybe more than the person who's doing it the researcher is probably really usually fascinated and interested but there are doors that they may open that other relatives don't want opened or closed right. for specific reasons so that's just kind of a word of caution but if we could, um, as we wrap up, and I mean, we could talk about this all day because it's just fascinating and it so complements the uh, role that photos play in our lives and those those old photos that, you know, we're all in love with and we want to know the stories. And many times we've lost a generation and, and people forgot to ask or didn't make time to ask. And now now you're being kind of that um researcher and you know that mystery you're solving mysteries what are a couple of tips if you could think of them right off the bat like if someone wanted to start with their genealogy where would you recommend they start um and of course calling you and hiring you but (laughs) but if they want to do it on their own and you know i can can help people you know people can totally do it on their own and i Mm -hmm. can help them do it on their own um I guess the number one thing I would want to say about getting started is um, you, let's say you open up an ancestry account and you get all these hints. I mean, not everybody, you don't, well, that's one thing. You don't have to spend money on it. I've got a blog post about how to do it for free, but, but I do have an ancestry account and I love it. And what people do is they go on and they get these hints, these little leaf hints mm-hmm. and, and they start clicking on them and they start accepting them. And they, but they don't put the critical thinking into each hint that is required to, to make it, um, to verify it. You know, just because it's your, your ancestor's same name, you need to look at how many other people in town were that same name. What do the dates match? 
you know, when he would have been alive? Do they, do they have the same kids that you know mm -hmm. existed? And if you don't start with yourself and work backwards step by step by step by step, you're going to miss something and you're going to get off on a wrong tangent. And if you. So I, I want to, this is, this reminds me of, and I did, I've done a little ancestry.com stuff myself for a client and my daughter's done it for us, but it's like a wiki, a Wikipedia page. It's crowdsourced, right? And you have to make sure that the, I mean, everybody's adding their stuff, but what you're saying is you need to kind of dig a little deeper with your critical thinking and make sure that it's accurate because well, you might go down the wrong trail. Right. You don't want to waste your time going down the wrong trail, but okay. also there's all sorts of documents that are, there's like more, yeah. um, more important documents than others. Like if you have an actual birth certificate and you have the, uh, the, the, the image of it, the actual signature and the actual, you know, right. And there, and there's census, there's census bureau documents on there, right. Too right. that can be really helpful. So all the, all the actual documents are more valuable than say the, um, the lists of documents or the, mm -hmm. the synopses of documents or the abstracts or the um, indexes. Those are all um, not as good. And so you have to weigh the value of each document against what you know before you accept it. And you can't, you can't accept someone's whole entire tree um, as being yours because they may have made tons of mistakes. They may have accepted errors along the way. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they just need to be diligent when they're doing this. But you, Ancestry.com is a great place to start. We're just giving them a shout-out. And they can do that for free to start. Uh, uh, someone who wants to do this on their own, and then you have some uh, a blog post or probably more than one that they can read to for more tips, right? Exactly. I love it. And, and, and the way this is related to photos is if you have photos – one of my recent blog posts is called what's a photo without the story and that we've already touched on that you know maybe we can do some research and find out who's in that photo and but by the same token you know what's what's a bunch of dates and names and places and words without a photo so if you can it, it helps to bring genealogy to life to have photos to to go with it right Right. So sharing that within this Ancestry.com and then and, and making all these different connections can help you uncover stories about the photos that you've had and the people that were alive then. So it's, right. it makes it it's really alive. it's really a neat thing to be able to do. Rita, do you have anything else or questions for Hazel and all of her knowledge of genealogy and and photos and stories? No, actually, I think we did a really nice job of you know, covering it and relating it to our um, our kind of mission of the photos and the stories. And so I just hope that people, you know, take a, a, a little bit of time to go over it and check out some of Hazel's um, blog posts. It sounds like there's a lot of a lot of interesting reads along with her um, clutter charts to help them on their journey of telling their photo stories. 
Absolutely. So thank you, Hazel, for your time today. We might have to do part two uh, of genealogy. If we, you know, if people ask questions and, and have more questions, uh, let us know. Everything that we refer to, we put on the show notes at photoswithsharita.com. So check out the show notes there and you can, you know, after you've listened to the podcast and you want references to the things we talked about. Thank you so much for your time and your expertise about genealogy and how to get into the deeper side of your photos and stories.